0: Kinfolk, happy Sunday. Sunday. Beloved of God, will you pray with me? Gracious God, you brought us here this morning. And so share a word and open our hearts to receive it. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, nobody wanted me on their team. I, nobody wanted me on their kickball team. Uh, I was really bad at sports, uh, comically so. And it wasn't a, like a secret. This was a visible and known quantity about my identity. Uh, and I had no excuse for being bad at sports. The men in my family were all athletes, played football and stuff. Um, my, dad, my dad made me play sports. To this very day, I can't pinpoint why, why I'm so bad at sports. Um, I'm not even good at bowling, you know, and, and like frisbee golf. I've tried them all. I've tried everything. Uh, it's not for lack of practice. When I was a kid, I, I, ran, I ran my scrawny little butt off. I had practice. I ran miles, and I still came in last. Um, I ran hard. I, I ran as hard as I could. Um, you know, good job, Dannison. You finally cracked that nine-minute mile. You know, way to go, champ. And I played soccer as a kid, because everybody played soccer as a kid. I grew up when ASO became the huge thing, and I played ASO soccer, and my dad was my coach. My poor father. Now, the other kids loved him so much. He was a great coach. Uh, And my dad wanted to call the team, uh, our our soccer team, he wanted to call us the Screaming Eagles. Because it was the name of the uh, team from the TV show Coach, which was his favorite show. He loved that show, the Screaming Eagles. But the kids on the team mutinied, and they named our team the Rusties after my dad, because his name was Rusty. And I was the worst player on that team. But my dad never let me quit anything, either. Uh, he knew that I was bad at sports. He never said it, but I mean, look at these wrists. Like, I, it's like God designed me for losing wristwatches and escaping handcuffs. Um, <laughs> So he compromised. My dad made a rule that said um, you could choose the sport you play, but you, you have to play at least one sport every semester. It can be whatever sport you want. By the time I was in high school, I knew I was bad at sports, but there was a bright spot. I was excellent on ice skates. And I was fast and nimble, and so I played hockey a lot, and it was fun until about 10th grade. <laughs> and then it was more like getting thrown into a giant food processor. Um, my coach introduced me to the ski coach. I had a friend named Josh, Thanks, thank God for Josh. Uh, he was my best friend and for a time he was my only friend. And Josh's dad had a similar rule about sports and Josh was also really bad at sports, so we were kind of perfect together. We would always do sports together, me and Josh. Um, Josh and I would pick sports that we could do together that seemed like fun. Um, So we played tennis and we played as doubles, you know, as a team, which the coach loved because he could stick us together and the match would only count as one loss, you know, for the team. (laughs) Our tennis coach was classic. It was like he got cast out of an 80s movie. Uh, His kid was really good at tennis. I mean, he went to statewide champions and stuff. And had this, they both had the exact same kind of slicked back Donald Trump Jr. haircut. Um, and Coach would always say that the best player of the year would get to drive his Porsche to prom, which was hilarious because we always knew it was gonna be his son, who was <laughs> the best. And that Porsche was ugh, ugly. It's like a bright yellow 94 Carrera. Um, I, drove, I drove my own pickup truck to prom, and on the way there, the front, wheel came off. On the highway. Not the tire, the entire wheel. And my date helped me fish it out of the ditch while we waited for my dad to come get us. That's a different story. I was bad at tennis, but I still lettered in it, and they can't take that away. At the tennis banquet at the end of the season, coach was given out awards. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, listen, folks. In every sport, someone has to come in last place. Nobody does it with more courage than Nate Dennis. Good, good, good hustle, Dennis. So. And Josh and I settled on downhill skiing. And we like skiing um, because if you're skiing and you get tired, you can just sort of stop trying and let gravity take over and do its thing. And we didn't, and we didn't have any ski gear. We just had like sweatpants and stuff. Uh, the rich kids would have these sort of slick one-piece spider suits. You know, it was really cool. And we had whatever we found in the back of the van. Um, I did track and field. I even joined the weightlifting club at one point. I think the other kids thought I was like the mascot or something. (laughs) Being forced to pick a team is awful, but it did teach me something. It taught me how to differentiate between the things everyone thought I should be good at and the things that I actually was good at. I gave a eulogy uh, once at a funeral service for a pretty famous English teacher from Kalamazoo. His name was Chris Bulmer. He was a, devote, a devoted English teacher at Kalamazoo Central. And the reason they asked me to speak at his funeral was because Chris helped change my life. Um, when I was 16 years old, I was bad at sports. But you know what I was good at? I was extremely good at writing and reciting poetry. And this is a thing that got kind of big in the late 90s and early aughts. And I was so good at it, Um, I would enter these poetry contests and I'd I'd pretty much regularly win every time I got up on stage. And you got money for winning these things. So I was motivated. And Chris was older than me and he took me under his wing and he he helped me out. Poetry is a combination between every kind of rhetoric. It can be stand-up comedy, drama, debate, oratory, preaching. You write and deliver your own material. And you get judged by strangers. I was so good that one year I was chosen for the four-person team from Grand Rapids that would go to compete uh, in the Nationals, and I was the youngest person to ever compete as a solo competitor at the national level. I had chosen a team, and my dad was, you know, eh, kind of weird, but whatever, <laughs> he's doing something. My mom was excited. I chose a team in an area of my life that felt like a calling. I found a culture that celebrated my specific gifts. And they make us choose teams in life, all the time. The laziest way to do this, in my opinion, is to choose a team that doesn't require any effort at all from you. This is stuff like nationalism, or the way you're born, or whatever. I I expended uh, exactly zero efforts becoming an American citizen. Didn't have to lift a finger. I was assigned male at birth. And that just worked out fine for me. Zero effort on my part. So I think it's kind of laughable when people who are born in America act like super proud (laughs) of that accomplishment. This did nothing to accomplish it. You know who who should be proud of being an American are immigrants. People who worked their tail off to become an American. They're like super-duper Americans. We often don't treat them that way. And I feel the same way, incidentally, about gender and relationships and folks who have to fight that fight. You can ask me about it later. But a lot of us didn't do anything really to earn the label Christian, either. Calling yourself a Christian in America is just about the safest thing going. Um, We're not... No one's... uh, pondering the day uh, that we might actually get a Christian president in the White House. Um, The chances are that if your parents were Christian, you're gonna be a Christian. The number one determining factor in your religious identity is the religious identity of your parents, people who raised you. The great majority of Protestant Christians have Protestant Christian parents. Uh, For Catholics, it's about 82%. 82% of Roman Catholics were brought up in a Roman Catholic household. For Jews, it's for Jewish people. It's 86 percent. If we dig a little bit deeper into this research, can you you guess uh, which particular flavor of Protestantism uh, have the most children who remain in their specific denomination? Somebody said Mormons. Yeah, Mormons. 91 percent. 91 percent of children who are raised Mormon remain in that church. Now, guess who has the least kids who stay in their flavor of Protestantism. Evangelicals. Only 47% of evangelicals who are raised that way stay in that tradition. Anyway, we're a church here at St. John's, a lot of different backgrounds. Um, We encourage people to think, consider, and think seriously about their path, about the team that they want to be on. Think for themselves, embrace the person that God calls them to be, and then help them find a method for becoming more courageous and more faithful. Andrew and his friend are followers of John the Baptist. They've chosen a difficult team. They've chosen to be followers of John. And Jesus kind of today almost comically describes the way of John the Baptist. It's not a way of soft robes and living in palaces. It's a way of the wilderness. Team John the Baptist is not roses and cupcakes. That dude ate grasshoppers. I imagine that Andrew and his friend, they, they probably took grief from their family for following John. Um, incidentally, John the Baptist still has followers this day. Folks, there's an ethno-religious group that reveres John the Baptist as the Messiah. They're very small. They're very similar to Christians, and they get persecuted oftentimes with, along with Christians. Um, they practice baptism, and they refer to themselves as Nazareans. Um, they're known hist- historically as Mandaeans, the Mandaean people. Not, uh, not Mandalorians. Those are, the, those are starship pilots and bounty hunters. Mandaeans are the people of John. They're likely descended from those original followers of John the Baptist we just heard about today. They were pretty horribly persecuted following the expulsion of the Bathist party in Iraq, and many of them resettled here in Michigan. And there's a small, prosperous community of Mandaeans in uh, Kalamazoo and also in Grand Rapids. Andrew and his friend, John, Choose to follow Jesus and Andrew goes home and gets his brother Simon who becomes Simon Peter He says I want you on this team with me. We're on team John, but John's encouraging us to follow Jesus It's a choice. It's hard work. It's not something that we were born into But I think that you're going to be good at it and they become disciples of Jesus Christ Simon the brother is given the name Peter by Jesus becomes not only a disciple but a dear friend and the foundation of the apostolic church So, in Advent, in this new year, we can sort of, together, sort out what team we want to be part of. And not the easy ones. Don't take pride in stuff that was given to you for nothing. There's there's nothing inherently wrong with patriotism, but unless you went through the hellish process of actually immigrating to America, you probably didn't actually have to fight that hard to earn that title. And I'll also say that this is one of the reasons that I find the idea of white pride to be so obnoxious. White people didn't spend 400 years being trampled on and discriminated against. And, and even today, they're taking away people's right to vote in states all across the country. And in Georgia, especially, and they're not targeting white people to prevent them from voting. We think about the team that we choose. Some choices aren't complicated. Team dog, team cat. I got no sides, I like dogs and cats. Team city, team country. Team empathy is a pretty good team to be on. Team compassion, if you're gonna throw in with Jesus and John the Baptist. As those teams take work, In America, it is not hard to wear the jersey of Team Jesus, but it does require practice. And whatever you practice, you'll get better at. Team gratitude takes a lot of practice. You practice finding something to be grateful for. These days, um, I I said this last week, but uh, you know, roughly 65% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. But do you know the percentage of Americans that regularly attend church? 19%. There's a lot of people out there talking a lot of talk. They're walking a lot of walk. Easier to say you're Christians. And there's a lot of Americans out there that are Christians in just about the same sense that I'm a tennis player. Jesus is asking of his disciples again and again, who do you say I am? Who did you go to see when you went after John? They can be one and the same. I'm a seventh generation Michigander. I've spent uh, more time in the gym training for Team Michigan than I have for Team America. But if Christian's a team that you want to choose to join this year, don't join just because your dad said you had to play a sport. You don't. Most Americans, in fact, of what they say, don't really have a religious practice. We're free to choose, and you are free to choose. So examine your teams this week, the teams that you're choosing to be on. As for me and mine, we're team Jesus. I'm gonna wear the jersey, but we're also gonna show up at practice. It's not easy, but it's honest and exciting. Find your team and examine your beliefs and discern where God has called you. And then don't forget to go to practice. Don't forget to show up every day. Practice doesn't make perfect, who knows? You might get to drive the Porsche to prom. Probably not. But you might find something even better. Even better than that. I promise. You'll find it. Amen.